I better keep going. Just, just, just six months or so ago, he was breaking up a, uh, a fight between two women where one pulled out a box cutter and sliced the other woman's face. Is that right, David? And then, of course, he lost his job, and now he has a new job. And he was describing how he's got three, three-year-olds and four-year-olds, and he's bending down to tie their shoes. And they're saying, oh, thank you, Mr. Troutman. And then, ah, choo, sneezing on him. <laughs> and uh, I, just, I just think God wanted to, uh, these little kids to see this big man's tender heart. And uh, isn't that beautiful to think about? So uh, let's just pray together as we begin this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for an opportunity to look at our relationship with you. We pray, as we often do, Lord, that the veil between heaven and earth would be very, very thin, and Lord, we would see things the way they truly are, and that you would encourage us and you would enliven us through your Holy Spirit. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is in us and working both to will and to do your good pleasure. Father, we just surrender ourselves to you right now. I pray that you'll help me to speak with clarity and anointing, and you'll help each person here to open their heart to you totally, Lord. Father, we pray that any burdens, people who are carrying tremendous burdens, we just pray a blessing upon them right now in Jesus' name, that these things could be set aside for a moment while we concentrate on you. We love you, Lord. We commit this sermon, this time, the rest of this service to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So you're at a coffee shop, and you're trying to explain to an unbeliever what it means to have a personal relationship with Christ. And this person knows enough to say to you, that phrase isn't even in the Bible. Um, And you counter with the reality that neither is the word Trinity or uh, Incarnation or Lord's Supper, and yet these phrases and these uh, words uh, are what we have given to encapsulate an idea or a group of ideas to reflect Scripture. But as you drive home, you're thinking, you know, what does that expression really mean? your relationship with Christ. You, you, you can have a personal relationship with God. What does that expression really mean? Is it biblical? What do I mean when I use it? And um, how old a concept is that, having a personal relationship with God? And so you get online and you start digging around, and um, the first thing you run across is that the New York Times cited Bishop William Manning in 1940 using this line when he said, it is the church which brings us into this personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. Then you read how Billy Graham used the saying, uh, or at least the New York Times cites Billy Graham as using this phrase as early as 1969 
saying this, they've been baptized, they've been confirmed, but they never had a personal relationship with Christ. Then, interestingly, you find uh, someone using the phrase around 1850, and this man's name is Horace Bushnell. He's a congregational minister, and he said this, in this coming again of Christ by the Spirit, there is included also the fact that he will be known by the disciple, not only socially, but as the Christ, in such a way as to put us in a personal relationship with him, even as his own disciples were in their outward society with him. So you look at, do a little reading on um, Horace Bushnell, and you find out that he's considered the father of uh, Christian liberalism in America. And you think, boy, that's, that's odd because this phrase, a personal relationship with Christ, is considered a cornerstone of modern post-World War II Christian conservatism. So here's, isn't that seeming a contradiction, that that phrase would be used originally in America anyway by a congregational minister who's considered the father of modern liberalism. But that's as far back as you can find that phrase doing a fairly in-depth search. And um, so you decide, well, it's about 160 years old and then seemed to go underground until the 1940s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, and on to today. You also read that it was accentuated in American revivalism, the revivalism of Billy Graham and others in the 40s and 50s and 60s who were looking out there and seeing that people had an intellectual faith, but they didn't have a personal dedication, a personal uh, fire in their belly, a personal devotion and commitment to Jesus Christ. And so these evangelists stressed that fact that we need to make a personal commitment to him. And this is the phrase that they used. I remember myself uh, being at a Billy Graham meeting in about 1973, I believe it was, uh, in, in, uh, at Metropolitan Stadium. And I remember Billy Graham talking about, I could have a personal relationship with Christ. And I remember when he gave the altar call, people just streaming down the aisles. And I was one of them. Have any of you ever gone forward at a Billy Graham crusade? A uh, few of you have, and, and um, it was the beginning, one of the, one of the p- stakes in the ground for me of understanding and receiving this personal relationship with Christ. I understood that I was going forward to commit my life to him, and he, Billy Graham talked about receiving him into my heart and asking for forgiveness for my sins. Now, this was, these were teachings, these were phrases that I had never heard in my little congregational church growing up. And so this was all new to me. In analyzing what this phrase means, I think I like the writings of a man named James A. Fowler of Christ in You Ministries. I think he's closer to the mark. And he says that the phrase, having a personal relationship with God, is problematic because it doesn't go far enough. It's not specific enough. And he says that there are really three realities that 
evangelicals like ourselves are trying to convey in that statement. The first is, is that God is personal, that we serve a living Christ, not a person of history, not a figment of our own imaginations, not an austere watchmaker who set the universe in order and then stepped back. We declare and we demand and we proclaim the truth that our God is a personal living God. James Fowler goes on to say that the second part of our understanding is that we have an interpersonal relationship with him. We communicate with him. He communicates with us. This is something that the world often mocks and just doesn't understand. Fowler writes, it is an experiential interactive relationship that involves an interrelatedness, a oneness, a unity, a commonality of identity, an intimacy, a knowing that can most closely be likened to a marriage relationship on earth. So he says, we're trying to convey that God is a personal God. We're trying to convey in that phrase that we communicate with him and he communicates with us. And then he says there's one other reality we're trying to convey, and that is that there is an intrapersonal relationship with Christ, meaning that he has come and made his home in us. There's an exchanged life. He says it involves the indwelling presence of the Spirit of Christ within the spirit of the Christian. I appreciate Warren and, and Warren, your ministry has been a many-decade ministry of talking about the reality of the Holy Spirit in us, and surely as well. And you've really, that, I don't know if that's been your life message, Warren, but that's what I picture being your life message, is the reality of the Holy Spirit in us, and us in Christ, that there's a divine exchange of life, an interweaving of our own lives with the divine. So I want to talk, obviously, this morning about our personal relationship with Christ, but the specific title is this, How Personal Is Your Personal Relationship with Christ? So what do we mean by this phrase? Let's keep talking about it. Let's dig a little deeper. I want to start with going back to what Fowler said that the first first of all we are trying to convey in that phrase that our God is a personal God amen he's not just a force he's not just a construct of our minds Peter said we didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we believed and made known to you the word of God But our God is a personal being who created all that is. I was so pleased, Hallett, with the responsive reading from Colossians. And here's here's the thing. He has chosen to reveal himself. It's one thing for God to be God, but it's a whole other thing for him in his divine intellect to choose to reveal himself us. He didn't have to do that, but he did. And I I see primarily three ways that he did. First, through creation. He reveals his creativity, his 
his um, majesticness, if you will. Um, we were up in Canada uh, a while back on a canoe trip, and uh, I remember pulling up a, a nice bass, a nice largemouth bass. My son-in-law, Jason, is the bass master of our family, but this time I caught a bass, and I was holding that, that guy up and looking at him and looking at what a work of art he was. Just, just, the, just his ability to survive underwater, his fins, his eyes, his, his gills. I mean, I, I, was just, I remember sitting there in the canoe thinking, how can anyone not believe in a personal God? And a week or two later, I was at a wedding out in California with my brother, who's not a professing Christian. And uh, we were sitting there, and I thought, what the heck, I'm going to take a little risk with Steve. And so I, I said, Steve, I was looking at this bass up on, on the canoe trip last week, and I was thinking, how can anyone not believe in a personal God? And um, Steve blew me away. He said, I don't even need to look at that. He said, all I, need to, all I need to know is the love that I feel at this table. Isn't that beautiful? God's working in his heart. Our God is a personal God. He reveals himself through creation. And he also reveals himself through his word, doesn't he? As a first scripture, I want to look at Jeremiah 9. 23 and 24. You, you don't have to turn there. I can just read it to you. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast of this. What's he going to say? That he understands and knows me. That I am the God who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, and I delight in these things, declares the Lord. I'd like you to think about intimacy in a human relationship. What is it that causes you to know a person? I would submit that it's you know their thoughts, that that's what intimacy is, the depth of knowing how that person thinks and being able to predict how they will think. You can't always do that, but, but it's the sharing of thoughts and sharing of life together that gives you intimacy with a person. And isn't it beautiful that God has revealed his thoughts to us in his word, over thousands of years, he has made sure to let us know his thoughts. He, he is very personal. He has let us in to his thoughts, to his mind. He wants intimacy with us. That's a tremendously personal thing. You know, you, you, you see this stereotypic... Uh, uh, woman and man, and he's silent, and she's looking at him, and she says, penny for your thoughts. <laughs> well, what's she wanting there? She's wanting to know him. She's wanting in. Let me into that thing, and uh, root around in there, 
and, and see what's going on. And hopefully there is something going on, but not all the time. So God is personal in his creation. He's personal in revealing his thoughts to us. And as we uh, linger on this point for a minute, Psalm 139, I mean, the, the focus, the intense focus of God upon us just, just is incredible, isn't it? Let me read some of these verses. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. Thou dost scrutinize my path. Isn't that a great word? Scrutinize my path and my lying down. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all. Thou hast enclosed me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. And then down in verse 13, for you did form my inward parts. You weaved me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Thine eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in thy book they were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was none of them. How can anyone say that God is not personal? He is very, very personal with us. He says even the hairs on our heads are numbered. I, don't, I, I just can't picture how God could, could, could convey to us any more than he has how personally and intensely focused on us he is. But he goes even further, doesn't he? He sent his son, Jesus Christ, the most personal gift of all. Imagine sending your son. I was talking with Nathaniel that I wasn't going to use this illustration, and I probably shouldn't, but Joel prayed for me to be free, so I'm going to just be free. About what if I said, Nathaniel, I need you to go minister to the cockroaches. And so... I need you to go be one of them for 33 years and suffer a shameful death, and we'll be apart uh, during that time. You'll have to leave the benefits that you have here. And imagine him taking on that form of life for 33 years and then suffering a horrible death before he could come back to me. Jesus Christ is the most personal gift of God the Father. We read how he left heaven, his home of glory. We read how he took on human flesh in our behalf. We read that he was tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. Some theologians say he needed to be tempted to the full extent of every temptation in order to uh, be a perfect sacrifice for us. He suffered abuse and torture 
in our behalf. He died a shameful death on the cross. He bore our sins on his back and took them outside the camp. The reproach that was meant for us fell on him. He was separated from the Father in some mysterious way that we don't understand. He shares his life with us now through another counselor, the Holy Spirit, that lives inside us. The word says he lives ever to make intercession for us. He says he's creating a home for us, a place for us. How personal is this, you guys? He says that it is our destiny to rule and reign with him. He wants us to, he wants to share his reign with us. He says that he wants us to live for eternity with him. In a place where there's no more wars, there's no more crying, there's no planes flying into buildings, destroying lives, there's no sickness, there's no separation. I hope I've convinced you that our God is a personal God. The old Apostle John, who called himself the one who Jesus loved, John knew he was personal. He said something very powerful in his letter first that we call 1 John. He said, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, we have beheld and our hands handled concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. I would say that his love for us is very personal. I would say that him sending his son for us is very personal. Secondly, when we say we have a personal relationship with God, it means that we do, in fact, communicate with him. How many of you can say amen? God has communicated with me. God has taught me, he has spoken to me, he has shown me, he has worked his spiritual gifts through me on occasion. Oh, I'm the first to admit, and we, we, we should admit that it's rarely on our timetable when God speaks to us. It's rarely the way we expect. Uh, there's no formula to it. Sometimes we get a no, sometimes we get a wait, but... We do communicate with him. We do commune with him. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. How can you follow someone if you can only hear their voice once? And that's for salvation. Following has to be an ongoing relationship. It has to be, in order to follow something that's moving, you have to be able to hear and keep hearing. 
we do claim, despite the mocking, despite the, the joking, we do claim that God speaks to us. I remember exactly when and what I was doing when the Lord spoke to me to marry Laura. He said, I want you, actually we were, I was driving in a van full of uh, junior hires home from a canoe trip that Laura had helped me with. She was in the very back of the van with the toughest kid asleep in her, in her lap. And I was looking in the rearview mirror, of course, and thinking, that's so cool that here's this tough kid, or he wasn't that tough, but he thought he was tough, uh, asleep on Laura's lap like a little baby. And uh, right at that moment, I felt the Lord speak to me. It wasn't an audible voice, but it was that strong that it could have been. He said, Jim, you're to marry Laura, you're to buy a van, and you're to move up to northern Minnesota. And so I went home, and I told my parents, who uh, don't have this personal relationship with Christ, they're, they're working, but they don't quite have that yet. And uh, they said no. They said, you're not mature enough. And, of course, that hurt. And then I went and talked to her dad, and her dad said no because uh, he thought I was saying right now instead of after she graduated. But 33 years later, here we are, four kids, nine grandkids, love her more than ever, and I just thank God for his, his voice in my life. I thank, he doesn't speak as often as I would like, but I thank God for those times in your lives when God has spoken to you. And you know it. You know it. Like Oral Roberts used to say, you know that you know that you know that you know. Can we rejoice in that? That God speaks to us. Somebody mocked the song in my readings of In the Garden, that old hymn. I'll read the first line to you. I come to the garden alone. You can hear the song in your mind. While the dew is still on the roses... And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me that I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. I want to say to those critics, no, that's exactly how it is. That's exactly how it is. God communes with us when we're in our yards, when we're in our garden, when we're in our cars, when we're at work. He's, he's communing with us. He's talking. And sometimes we have trouble listening, but no, our God does talk to us. Truly, we do have an interpersonal relationship with Christ. Way back... In the book of Joel, we read, and it will come about after this, that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your old men will dream dreams, and young men will see visions, and even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. At Pentecost, Peter got up to preach, and he said, today in your hearing, Joel's prophecy has been fulfilled. And so whether it's through dreams or prophecy or 
the word of God or the advice of godly friends or an impression in your heart or an audible voice, God is speaking in these days and we need to be listening. We need to be listening for his voice. We need to be actively seeking to hear his voice in these days. We do have that interpersonal relationship with Christ where there's interaction, there's an ever-growing trust in him, the gifts of the Spirit are working. We're sharing life with our Lord. Hallelujah. Professor Howard Irvin said in his book, uh, These Are Not Drunken As Ye Suppose, that the man with an argument is at the mercy of the man with an experience. I pray that you've had that experience of a personal encounter with Jesus Christ and you know that he's real and that he exists and that he loves you. So we've talked about the personal God, we've talked about the interaction, the interpersonal relationship. Third, this phrase to us means that there has been an exchange of life. We have entered into the divine life. Peter says we've become partakers of the divine nature. I know life seems awfully dull sometimes, and you look at yourself and you think, how is God at work in me? I don't feel a thing. I don't feel any different. I don't see anything going on. And yet the scriptures tell us that he is at work in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. Don't be convinced, brothers and sisters, that he's not at work. Uh, don't throw up your hands and say, it's no good. I'm just going to stop seeking him. I'm too tired of trying to hear his voice. He has entered into us, and we are now in Christ. We've been born anew. We've been regenerated. We've been washed by the blood of Christ and given newness of life by the Holy Spirit. How else do we understand the words of Jesus to Nicodemus when he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. How do we understand the words of Paul to Titus when he said, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. That sounds good, doesn't it? I'll, I'll take a little bit more of that. The washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Paul said to the Romans, there are those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. How do we... How do we understand, how do we comprehend the words of Paul to the Corinthians when he said, you are a new creation in Christ. Behold, all thing, old things passed away, new things have come. How do we understand the words of Jesus when he said, out of our bellies, if we believe in him, out of our bellies will flow rivers of living water. How do we, how do we wrap our arms around the, the notion that if we love Jesus, if we obey his commandments, he says in John 14 that he and his father will come and make their home in us. 
how else do we understand that we want to surrender our will to the Lordship of Christ? Not just once, but for a lifetime. How do we understand that we now detest the sin that we were profligate in before we came to Christ? How do we explain that change of nature? How do we explain that we experience this tremendous surge of faith sometimes when the road ahead seems impossible? I say our only option is to know that his word is true and that his life is in us, that he has come and made his home in us as he has said he would. Indeed, we have that intra personal relationship with him. And yet, fourth, it's even more personal than that. More personal than him being a personal God that we communicate with, that he's in us and we are in him. We enter into his mission, don't we? We begin to identify with him. We begin to to say his mission is my mission. Uh, Friday morning, I had some workers out at my house to move a couple of sheds. It was a father and a son, and they did a great job. And after the job, we we talked for a while. And uh, I would love to tell you that I witnessed to these guys, and there was a glorious encounter with Christ. But here's what actually happened as they were driving away. I felt a pang of sadness because I had not shared anything of the Lord with them. I hadn't given them a gusty. There was no mention of the Lord, no indication that I was a Christian or a minister, no offer to pray for them, nothing. There should be a pang of sorrow, I think. Contrast this with Winston Churchill's quote about a fanatic. He says, a fanatic is one who can't change his mind and won't change the subject. His mission is my mission, amen? His mission is your mission. His mission is our mission. This becomes very personal when you start to receive reproach as a Christian. Imagine our brothers and sisters overseas who are being abused and tortured, and killed, and in prison. Is it personal to them? I would say so. Very personal to represent their Lord. Indeed, his mission is our mission. And last, I want to say to have a personal relationship with God means that we never stop seeking him. We never stop seeking him. Yes, he has satisfied our thirst, but I'm still hungry. I'm still hungry. Um, I know you are too. We want to we want to grow, amen. We want to deepen our relationship. We want to mature. We want to cultivate greater depth in our communion with Christ. We want to be more holy. We want to be more conformed to His image. It's my view that it's the people, it's the Christians who are 
radically seeking God moment by moment, day by day, that are the most vibrant Christians I know. It's so easy to go on automatic pilot, isn't it? Just where, you know, he doesn't answer me fast enough. I don't know. You know, I just can't get him to speak to me. Times of silence from heaven can grow very long. Life gets too busy. The cares of this world kind of take over. We start letting our devotional life go, and we get hurt maybe by a Christian or a church, and we withdraw. We just grow lazy or apathetic. No, beloved, we must keep seeking him and seeking his voice and believing that he is a personal God and he will personally commune with you. He will talk with you. It may not be the way you expect. It probably won't be. And yet, let's not give up. Let's not throw up our hands and just go into automatic pilot mode and say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't really expect him to walk with me and talk with me and tell me that I am his own. As we go into a a time of prayer, I want to ask you these questions. You might want to bow your heads and, and let the Holy Spirit just speak to you. How has God touched you personally? Has he been your refuge and your fortress? Has there been a time where you hid under his wings? Has he been your keeper and the shade on your right hand? Has he been your deliverer? Has he delivered you from some deep pit of sin or of grief, of despair and discouragement? Maybe he's been the glory and the lifter of your head. Maybe, maybe you deserve shame and death. I guess we all do. We deserve nothing but shame and death, and yet he has given us dignity. He has sent his son from heaven to suffer and die for us so that we might have dignity in this life. We, he would become our glory and the lifter of our heads. He's a personal God. Maybe he's answered your prayers. Maybe you've had an experience where you've thought something. You haven't even prayed it. You've thought it, and before you know it, just then, that thing is answered, that thing appears, and you know that he hears you and and that he loves you. Has he convinced you he's the lover of your soul? Has he forgiven you? Has he cleansed you? Has he set your feet upon a rock? I felt led this morning to open up the altar for any who would like to say, either either repent for repentance, I've let my personal relationship with God slip. I have gone on automatic pilot. I have grown discouraged and um, just kind of said whatever. 
I want you to recommit to seeking God with all your heart this morning. Please come now. Don't be ashamed to come and kneel at the altar. This is your altar. This is our place. This is our family. Also, there may be those of you who are very, very involved and and listening for Christ, but you simply want to make a statement, God, advance me. Advance me in my personal relationship with you. Move me forward, oh God. Move me forward. And then finally, the third one I thought of is just those of you who just want to say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for how personal you've been. Of course, you can stay in your seat or you can stand, but I I want to invite you to come forward and just enjoy your Father ministering to you here at the altar. Would you come now? We'll just wait a few minutes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Father, we're so thankful for those times you've been especially personal. And we do want you to advance us, Lord, in our communion with you, in the fervency of our seeking your voice. Bring that expectancy, Lord, that you will speak. Give us faith, O Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. We bless you. We bless you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. We bless you. Hallelujah. Those of you who are in, in the seats, could could we just stand and and worship the Lord and thank Him for His goodness. Thank Him for His mercy. Thank You for His personal touch upon our lives. Let's just lift up our praise and our glory and our honor to Him. We thank You, Father. We bless You. We thank You, Father, for Your good hand in our lives. We love You, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. We worship you. We bless you. Lord, if we have been neglecting or if we have thrown up our hands and said, whatever, whatever, I'll just walk along. We do repent, Lord. We do confess it as sin and we ask you, Father, to refresh us to give us a new vision and a new excitement in our spirits to seek you with all of our hearts. To seek you with all of our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We want to be those vibrant Christians, Lord, who are constantly seeking you, constantly listening waiting upon you, listening for your voice in every conversation, in every 
meeting that we have with an individual, being able, on the one hand, to do the, do the surface talk, but on the other hand, to be listening to your voice and asking, what do you want in this situation, Lord? We pray you'd strengthen our prayer lives, Father. I pray for housewives who are so busy and for working women who are so busy. Help them, Lord, to uh, determine to not give up on hearing your voice, to not give up on taking a few moments to quiet their hearts and to listen to their Lord. Nothing's more important. We pray for our children, Lord, our teenagers. Father, may that personal relationship with you burst upon their hearts. That they just wouldn't love you out of propositional truth, but Father, they would have a personal encounter with you. We pray for our young children, Lord, that they would just grow up with a tremendous sense of your presence in their lives and uh, never look back, just be filled with joy and filled with a sense, God, that you are with them in everything. We pray for these especially who are at the altar, Lord, that you would give them a fresh start that you would advance them in their personal relationship with you. We bless you and we praise you. So long it after thee, you alone are my heart's desire. 